Hello, my friends. Welcome. This is The Joe Martino Show. Today, I want to talk to you about a book that I recently read that was both difficult to read, and I think every person in America should read it. And then we're going to talk about how do we treat those that we disagree about with. What happens when you who think that we should stay home till the middle of July meet someone that believes we should be out and the economy reopened now? And how do we talk to each other? Let's kick it off. This is The Joe Martino Show. You're listening to The Joe Martino Show, a podcast dealing with all things emotional, relational, and human nature. Joe is a licensed counselor in the state of Michigan, specializing in relationship therapy. He is also the author of the book, The Emotionally Secure Couple. All advice offered in this episode is offered for entertainment and educational purposes only. Enjoy the show. All right. I want to start out today's show doing something I've never done before. I want to talk about a book that I just got done reading called Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. Brian Stevenson is an attorney who fights to get uh, what he believes are unjust sentences changed. And in fact, I guess there's a movie coming out about it. I didn't read the book because of the movie. I read it because a friend of mine actually posted on her social media that it was a book that she found incredibly difficult to read and yet incredibly, she believed, necessary for all of us to read. And so I, I got downloaded the book and I read it. And I, I, I want to talk about it for a minute. If you are at all concerned with issues of justice and mercy, you should read this book. Now, look, if you want simple answers, don't read the book. If you want simple uh, certainty, don't read the book because it's going to it's going to question things. It's going to, I know I'm, I personally am not for the death penalty in its current iteration in America. I believe it's too tied to politics. It's too easy to be manipulated. And the book only backed that up. And it's not like he has just one case. He just, it's almost like he's at points in the book. It's almost like he's just rambling about, uh, what happens in, in the system, people who are innocent and, and lawyers and judges and sheriffs and police officers got together and just basically made up the charges, made up testimony, and got caught for it. And, and I'm not, this is not an indictment on all law enforcement. This is not an indictment on all prosecutors or judges. There are a ton of good people in those fields. But one of the things that I'm concerned about is we are losing the questioners, we are losing the people in our society who question the things that are happening, who question the status quo, who question the authorities, who question us, our beliefs, because we want a simple, safe system that we can just exist in. And, and those people tend to shake that up and it's uncomfortable. And, and we, we, have, we have elevated peace to be our God and we worship peace and safety. And so people who actually stand up and say, wait, maybe our judicial system as it's set up is unjust. They tend to get shouted down by the, the, uh, the, the non-vocationed lynch mobs, right? So, so they're not, I actually have some really fascinating conversations with some sheriff's deputies, sheriff's detectives, uh, county officers, prosecutors even, who, about this book, I've had some really fascinating and in-depth, deep conversations with people who are in the system who are like, there's absolutely things that we need to question and change. And yet, when someone like Mr. Stevenson 
comes out with a book about it or he talks about it when he I mean he talks about getting bomb threats and death threats and this is all in the last 20 years this is not like a hundred years ago once again the book is just mercy by Brian Stevenson some terrifying statistics in there here's just two quotes from the book that, that he actually cites so they're statistics but it just makes me cringe. In 1955, there was one psychiatric bed for every 300 Americans. 50 years later, that would be 2005, it was one bed for every 3,000 people. And if you've been listening to this show at all, if you've been following me at all, if you hang out with me at all, you know I really want to start a mental hospital here in my hometown of Grand Rapids because we do not have enough beds to help the mentally ill and invariably they end up in prison where their symptoms are not treated, their diseases are not treated, their maladies are not treated, and they do not recover. They're just thrown into a system and they're chewed up. And, and the problem with this conversation that I often find is, is when I start talking about it, people get angry because they know I'm questioning their system, but I'm not. I'm questioning the system that we all live in. I'm questioning the system that has just been systematically broken, right? And, and the, you know, you, when you look into the history of, of psychiatric beds and mental hospitals, there was a movement in the 60s and the 70s to uh, get everybody out of hospitals because, quite frankly, there was a lot of mistreatment there. But this is why we need to question the overseers. This is why we need to question everything. And, and I think part of the problem is we don't like questioning or, or people question says because we don't like we, we don't like our comfort being uh, disrupted and I, I see that. But I also think that part of it is we see so many people who question from just a silly place. They question from a place of, of, of jealousy and envy and they're condescending. And, and hopefully we can avoid that because we need to have these conversations because right now there are people sitting on death row, who are innocent. There are grown adults who are sitting on death row for non-homicidal uh, crimes. In other words, they didn't kill anybody, but they're on death row. Well, that can't be, Joe. Well, it is. There are certain states that allow it. Did you know we have a Confederate Memorial Day? And look, I'm not here to get into the whole Confederate flag thing. I just don't... There's here. Here's the one thing I don't understand. In what world... Does the conquered army get statues and flags raised to them? And I may lose listeners to this. I, I, I might. I, I don't know. I, I don't want to lose listeners. I want to create a world where we can disagree agreeably and we can have passionate conversations that don't involve people just being like, man, I'm done. Because I'm seeing that everywhere today. I'm seeing it in politics. I'm certainly seeing it over this COVID-19 uh, situation. I'm, I'm hesitant to make podcast episodes directly about that because one of the things about hot podcast episodes is they age. And so somebody coming in three months from now, I want them to be able to listen to the episodes and it be timely to their place in life. But, but I just can't get around it. There's just so much conversation that gets set on fire around these things because a, we're passionate about them and we're afraid about the possible outcomes and we crave certainty. Here's another interesting quote from the book. Between 1990 and 2005, a new prison opened in the United States every 10 
days. A new prison every 10 days. Prison growth and the resulting, quote, prison industrial complex, end quote, the business interests that capitalize on prison construction made imprisonment so profitable that millions of dollars were spent lobbying state legislators to keep expanding the use of incarceration to respond to just about any problem. Because, see, incarceration gives us certainty. Oh, that person broke a law? Well, we can throw them in jail. That person isn't wearing a mask in public? Well, we'll just fine them $2,000. But we're not going to go find the guy or arrest the guy that's beating his wife in lockdown because Uncle Johnny might die. Like, we have to embrace these conversations and we have to sit in the tension and the mess and the uncomfortableness of figuring out what is justice. One of the things that my wife and I talk a lot about is people who are wronged, people who are abused, people who are marginalized, people who are hurt, and no one fought for their, for their justice. They tend to grow up and become people who kind of go off looking for justice, and a lot of times it ends up off the rails. They end up hurting other people because they're fighting for justice that they never got. And one of the things that I loved about this book is he never actually says, look, you need to just ignore what they did. In fact, we need to acknowledge what they did. But we need to ask ourselves, what does, how we, what does it say about us in how we treat those who break the law? And, and I'm just going to move it to this whole COVID-19 situation. What does it say about us in how we handle people, how we interact with people? Because you handle horses, you don't handle people. Uh, famous NBA player said that. I think it was Wilt Chamberlain. How does, how, what does it say about us in how we handle disagreements with people over how this COVID-19 situation should be handled? Because it says everything about us. It's easy to treat the people that we agree with nicely. It's easy to treat the people that we love and do what we want them to do kindly. But what kind of kindness, what kind of mercy, what kind of grace do you have for people who don't do what you do? Furthermore, what do you do with people who break the law? Because our, our country, let's be honest, our country is founded on the breaking of the law. The king said, just do what I tell you and I will protect you. And our country said, nope. Malcolm Gladwell, who is probably hundreds of IQ points higher than me, has a podcast on his show, Revisionist History, about the Boston Tea Party from, I think from July 4th last year. It's stupid. It's literally dumb. He's like, well, they were just criminals. Well, Malcolm, can, can I call you Malcolm? Would that be all right? We all kind of know that because we learned that in history class. But here's the question. Are you a criminal when you break an unjust law? Are you a criminal when you fight for other people who did break the law, but got an unfair, punitive sentence? One of, the, one of the, the main case in the book that, he, that kind of weaves its, its narrative through the whole book is a man who literally had eyewitness testimony of over 20 people that he was nowhere near where a murder occurred, but he was black having an affair with a white woman who got killed, so he was guilty. And, and the, the police officers at the time, they literally... Uh, coerced, extorted other people to make up false testimony. And in the book, he mentions this. He says, one of the things that frustrates him 
is that people will say, well, his getting released, his being exonerated, it proves that the system works. The man lived six years on death row. Six years. The system didn't work for that guy. We have people losing their mind because they're having three months of their life taken away. And I'm not here to judge that one way or the other. But can you imagine six years in death row? In an eight by eight cement block cell? Where, oh, by the way, you can smell the burning flesh of the other people on death row that they're killing? You see, this isn't a simple solution. We have to protect society from people who will do it, do it harm. I agree with that. We have to somehow seclude those who break the law. I agree with that. But we've turned incarceration into a business. We have turned a blind eye to justice. And the very same people who are willing to do that lecture somebody who doesn't wear a mask out in public right now on the sanctity of life. Because we're all broken. I was, I was interviewing someone this week, by the way. Uh, I've been really trying to up my interviews, and they're going to start rolling out here soon. I interviewed uh, an author who writes uh, fictional books, fantasy books, someone that I read, and was interacting with him on Facebook and said, hey, would you be willing to do a podcast? I'm trying to get uh, some uh, professional athlete to come on and talk about he and his wife's struggles with uh, infertility. I'm hoping to get a former, our, our former lieutenant governor on, on our podcast um, to talk about some things that he's passionate about. So they're coming up. But one of the things that I love about story, and I was talking to this author this week um, about that, one of, the, one of the things that I appreciate about story or that I love about story, whether it's movie, uh, TV shows, which I don't really watch a lot of, or reading, is the fact that there are only two stories ever told, brokenness and redemption. I feel like our society is trying to tell a third story, and that's peace and safety. That doesn't exist. It doesn't. Railing against that reality won't change it. What will help us deal with it and be able to transcend it is the acceptance of that fact. There is always risk. There is always pain. There will always be hurt. If you want to get into a relationship and you don't want to get hurt, buy a dog. The only problem with that is the dog's going to die, so you're still going to get hurt. So better yet, if you want to have a relationship and you don't want to get hurt, buy a stuffed animal. Because there's always pain in a relationship. If two humans are interacting, there's always the potential for pain because we all bring our brokenness to the relationship. And so one of the things that we need to start doing is we just have to accept that reality. I love my wife and she does things that bring me pain. She hurts my feelings. I know that's hard to believe because some of you don't think I have feelings, but I do. I, I have broken parts of me. This morning, I ran into a friend of mine at the grocery store. And as I left, I was like, man, I'm in a lot of pain. So my thinking can honestly be, be flustered because my brain goes to thinking about what I'm trying to do to not hurt in my back and my shoulder. And I was like, Did, what, was there anything I said in that conversation that was, was, could have been taken the wrong way or could have been insulting to him or infuriating to him. And I've just got to turn down that voice that overthinks in my head. I have to accept that things happen that causes pain. I have to accept that maybe there was. I really don't think there was. And I have to accept that if he's really my friend, he'll come tell me. And so 
As we engage these conversations, maybe you're completely pro-death penalty. Awesome. Good for you if you've thought it out, if you're willing to engage these conversations. I'd love to have a conversation with you. I'm happy to do that. But I think we have to, we have to be responsible for how we talk. I have friends that are atheists, and I have friends that are ankle-length, denim skirt-wearing, three to five times a week church-attending Baptist. So I have friends all across the spectrum. I have friends that believe Barack Obama was a sellout and he wasn't liberal enough. I have friends that are believe Donald Trump is a sellout and he's not conservative enough. And I'm okay with that. What I, what I crave is relationship that has deep conversations. Where things can be said that we disagree on. I have opinions about this COVID-19 situation that I don't express to anybody but my wife and a small handful of people because you don't know how people are going to react. And so one of the things that we have to start considering is how are we talking? Recently on my website, joemartino.com, I wrote a blog post uh, that actually took a lot of hits. It got shared a lot of times, uh, almost five times the normal reading that I get. And, and, and the title was, We Have to Distinguish Between Disagreement and Attack. The very first sentence says, I'm afraid that we have lost the plot when it comes to human interaction. We have somehow come to the place where we take almost any and all criticism or disagreement as hate or attack. If you think hot dogs are the best ballpark food and someone offers up nachos, well, you can just dismiss them as a hater. Or better yet, you can call it an attack and you can be the victim. We no longer seem to be able to ha handle having our opinion questioned. Perhaps we've come to the place where we all believe that we are subject matter experts in almost everything. With a few clicks on our keyboard, we can, have all, we can all have a, quote, informed expert, end quote, opinion. Perhaps because we've been spoon-fed that whatever we feel or believe is both legitimate and accurate, no matter what contrary evidence may exist. And it's that second part and accurate that we have to embrace is not functional for us as humans, and it's not functional for society. Yes, whatever you experience, whatever you feel or believe is legitimate and that you are feeling it and you are experiencing it, but it doesn't mean that it's accurate. There's a lot of reasons. If you'd like to read it, I'd really encourage you to go to joemartino.com, click on the, the blog tab, and then it is We Must Distinguish Between Disagreement and Attack. Uh, April 16th was the original publication date. In that post, I gave some, some talking points for people who are speaking and people who are listening in the middle of a disagreement, and I want to share them with you. The person speaking should avoid attacking the person with inflammatory words. Phrases like, you're part of the problem, or are you too stupid to see what's being done, are unhelpful. And just a few minutes before I wrote that, I read a comment by a person calling someone else uninformed and stupid. That's not helpful, and it is reasonable for the other person to feel attacked in such a situation. In other words, you can't call somebody an idiot, and then when they look at you and say, why are you attacking me? You can't be like, well, I didn't attack you, I just expressed my opinion. Their words have meaning, and words have consequences. And so you can't just be, Rawr. Try to find the most helpful words. Deal with the person's actions. This one seems almost too easy to me, but I often see people being attacked instead of their stated idea or action being questioned. In other words, it's not, what, are you an idiot? You, you could say, hey, I disagree with the validity of, of the logic that you're sharing. 
I think what you're sharing doesn't follow rational reasoning. You could say a lot of those things, which are still somewhat inflammatory, but when you actually attack the person, you're killing conversation. And we want to foster conversation. We want to grow conversation. Embrace humility. Present what you think is going on with humility. You are entitled to think whatever you want, and only a fool thinks that they are never wrong. There's so many people, because we crave a certainty, we refuse to live in the tension of, this is what I believe, and I could be wrong. Use the kindest, most generous words possible. There is never a good excuse to be a mean person. Use words that are kind and helpful. There just isn't. There's so many people who give themselves an excuse to be mean, and there's never an excuse. You just never have a right to be mean. I don't care if you think the protesters were stupid. I don't. What I do care about is how you tell them. I don't care if you think the people who think the protesters were stupid are stupid. I care about how you tell them. Have the conversation in a kind and helpful way. And then acknowledge the other person's beliefs and feelings. You don't have to validate them. It is almost always universally helpful to acknowledge them. In other words, just... Hey, let me make sure I understand what you're saying. Make sure I understand, let me make sure I understand what you're feeling. Embrace that part of the conversation. Okay, so that's for the person speaking. The person listening should seek to understand the other person's perspective. This will allow you, when you're the speaker, to use the kindest words possible. That's really important. They're, just raise your hand right now, wherever you're at. I want you to raise your hand if too many people are kind to you. You just have too many people being nice to you, being kind and gracious. Of course, nobody's going to raise their hand to that. That's why we don't have real conversations anymore. Distinguish between what you know and what you think you know. So often when we are listening, we have thoughts that run through our heads as facts, but in reality, they are assumptions or interpretations. As such, they need to be vetted. So many times there have been things that I thought were true, but when I tried to verify those thoughts, it turns out I was wrong. The person meant something else completely. And I know I'm not alone in that boat. So challenge your own thoughts as you're listening. Distinguish between what you know is fact and what you think you know is fact. This will make you both a better listener and a better speaker in conversations that involve disagreement. Ask yourself, what is the most generous and gracious way for me to interpret what the other person is saying? Now, look, this doesn't mean that you're always going to walk away from the conversation agreeing with the person or that you're going to change your mind or even that you're going to think that they're a very good person in their actions. Just yesterday, I was talking to someone who is planning on going to uh, get their counseling degree. And so they were talking to me about it and they were talking to me about a school that I know pretty well. And and they said, you know, I got accepted there, but I met so-and-so who runs the department. And I got to be honest with you. I don't think she's nice. I think she's mean. I think she talks down to people. I think she's condescending and I don't want to sit under her. To which I have to know the person. I said, I can see how you might think that. And she talked about how I kept trying to come around to like, okay, well, what is she saying it this way? Is there another way I could interpret it? And she just came down to the conclusion that there's no other way to take this other than this person just talks down to people. So that's fine. So she's going to withdraw herself from that toxicity. That, that's healthy. But you still have to start with what's the most generous and gracious way for me to understand what this person is saying? How can I interpret this and think of them in the best possible light? 
Okay, last point. Let the other person finish their sentences completely. This one seems so simple, but can be so difficult. Allow the other person to finish and maybe ask a few clarifying questions. So many times when I listen to people argue, when I watch people have disagreements, they, they, they just talk over each other. They jump over each other. They run over each other. It's just one mad dash for each person to prove that they're right. When we start seeing the difference between disagreements and attacks, we open ourselves up to the best possibilities of growing and maturing. We give ourselves the best chance to have true community and intimacy. Very few people like being told they were wrong or they are wrong. That's me. I don't like being told that I'm wrong. But the best communicators embrace the reality that they may be wrong. They embrace the value of someone pushing against their beliefs. And then here is the the last paragraph from this blog post that I wrote. There was an ancient writer who once wrote that we should only allow words to come out of our mouths that will build others up and benefit those who are listening. I dream of a society where that is the normal way. When we dismiss everything that disagrees with us as an attack, we are giving away the opportunity to benefit all those who listen to us, including ourselves. Because make no mistake, you talk to yourself. You hear yourself. You narrate your life in some way, fashion, or form inside your own head. All about 3% of the population. You have a view of yourself that is formed by the voice in your head. And you have to challenge it. You have to. We benefit as a society when we can embrace people who disagree with us. Like right now, it's so bad. I saw somebody put up a survival rate number. These are This is the number of people that have survived COVID-19. Literally, the first seven comments were attacking the guy. And he was finally like, hey, I'm just excited that people are living through it and the death toll number isn't as high as we were afraid of in the beginning. Because those people interpreted his intentions, they interpreted his meaning, they interpreted what was going through his head, and they never vetted it. And so the next time you find yourself in a conversation where you're fired up, where you're ready to go to war with somebody, or worse, and I think this is even worse than going, where you're ready to just dismiss them, we lose out. Like, it's, it's simple. If we can just dismiss them, well, they're just stupid protesters, well, they're just sheep that are following the governor's orders, when we can just label them and push them off to the side and ignore them, we limit our own ability to grow and we limit our humanity. So embrace the people that disagree with you. Have conversations with them. Have healthy conversations with them. Avoid the toxicity, of course. But don't lessen your humanity. Don't lessen the possibility of experience. Like right now in our state, there, there's, there's a new division. Are, are we going to reopen May 1st or are we going to stay shut? And people are just shouting over each other. What would happen if we started with a place where instead of me shouting over you, I want you to feel heard. I want you to feel valued. I want you to feel safe. And I still might disagree with you. I was talking to one of my employees the other day, one of my therapists, and I said to him, yeah, I don't care if we disagree. I just want to know if you can have the conversation. I'm okay with that. We can walk away from it. And, and there's probably a lot of things we agree on. We can disagree on some too. We can even disagree on a lot of things. But may we all engage in behaviors that build each other up. Even when we're stressed, you have the right to be afraid. You do. You have the right 
to have your feelings. You have the right to have your beliefs. You don't have the right to be mean or unkind to people who don't share them. Like, let's just call a moratorium on all the passive-aggressive posts about how sad it is that you see somebody handling this crisis in a way that is different from the way that you think they should. Let's just kill those posts. All right. If you'd like to get my blog, you can go to joemartino.com. There is a subscribe button. You put in your email address, and then I think you have to verify it. And typically, a new post goes up every Thursday, uh, and every couple Mondays, there is another post. So you get about two emails from me a week um, that that would share my blog with you. You don't have to do that, obviously, but if you want that, that's there. I am excited to announce that we have hired uh, another therapist. Dr. Catherine Mueller-Bell now works uh, with our company, and she is a licensed therapist here in the state of Michigan. She only is able to do telehealth at this point, but if you wanted to have an appointment with her, feel free to get on our website, joemartinocounseling.com. Click on the Therapist tab, and you will see her name and read about her bio. Also, Uh, We are planning on doing marriage and parenting conferences in the future. The one that we obviously had scheduled for this Saturday has been uh, postponed until we find out when we are allowed to move more freely around the country due to this COVID-19 situation. Uh, Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please share with a friend. And hey, give us that rating in your podcast store. Until next time, change possible.